Comet in your head. Season two. I love, I love your vibes tonight. Happy Wednesday, friends, and welcome back to Aquarius Behavior, a best friends podcast. I'm your co-host, Morgan. And I'm your co-host, Samantha. We invite you to hang out with us each Wednesday to take in some chaotic storytelling, low-key learning, and high-quality audio. That's the AbPod promise. Well, hi, Samantha. Hey, Morgan. Welcome. Welcome to you. It is the day we have both been anticipating. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It's the fourth <laughs> Wednesday of the month. It's the fourth Wednesday of the and month. And if you've been listening to AbPod for a while and you're one of our regulars, you know what that means. The fourth Wednesday means Oh my gosh. It's our friend Jane. It is Jane Austen Wednesday and <laughs> it is Book Nook. <gasps> Yay! Book Nook Wednesday! I know. We, we don't even have an intro today. No. We're just jumping in because we've been so excited to do this episode. We essentially both ran into the pod lounge, looked at each other and said, wait, no, I can't make eye contact with you while I set up and then quickly jumped onto mm-hmm. our respective spots. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just came in and said... I have no personal stories this week. I don't, nothing in my personal life is interesting. I just want to talk about Jane Austen. That's all that's on my mind. I have nothing else Mm -hmm. occupying space. All consuming. Yeah, it has been all consuming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have had the flu, but that's, we're not going to talk about that, (laughs) which gave me time to listen to all this Austen because I was bedridden. Mm Much like Marianne, just oh, bedridden. Mm-hmm. I'm still drinking Pedialyte today. Yeah, <laughs> maximum hydration. I got like <laughs> this, like freaking what is this? One liter of Pedialyte. Yeah, <laughs> with, a straw, with a straw out of the bottle, like, like a champ, mm-hmm. classiest. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we've been talking about how we've been digesting Austin, and we both continue to audiobook it yes. a majority of the time. Yeah, yeah. So Definitely. lots of driving and lots of realizing that my speakers, as I'm sitting at stoplights, are way too loud. And you can definitely hear the narrator outside the car uh, saying oh. very fancy things. And yeah, one person was crossing in front of me and like kind of eyed my vehicle up and down like, yeah, I'm listening to an audiobook. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. I love that because, yeah, when people <laughs> pull up to a stoplight, I'm expecting to hear some, like, booming bass or something. And, yeah, you've got a whole different party going on inside your car. This is a LibriVox recording. Jane Austen. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, my gosh. I absolutely love that. I was pulling up my book because I wanted to see, like, who this actually was that I'm listening to. Yeah. Who is your person that you're listening to? Yeah, so I have been listening on the Libby app, which I've already uh, sang my praises about. So absolutely love it. Public libraries. Hello. That's right. And so I've been listening to an audiobook of Sense and Sensibility. It's the unabridged version read by Juliet Stevenson. Mm. And I don't know who she is, but great voice. Mm. I, and she does she does the voices which i think are so important when you're narrating and so i always look for somebody when i'm looking for an audiobook i want to find somebody who does 
great character voices. Like I want somebody who's going to entertain me with their characters and I need high quality audio because yeah. we're snobs like that. <laughs> you know, of anyone that you would think of in your life, you should say those girls at Aquarius Behavior, they are audio snobs <laughs> right from the very beginning. <laughs> I am. I'm a little bit of an audio snob and mm, I care about my ear holes. I care about your ear holes too. Thank you. And listeners, we care about your ear holes. We do. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, when narrators use specifically like such a posh voice mm, for yes. the characters that are being annoying or like they're being ridiculous and it's just like my heart when they're saying those words it's like yes you chose exactly the correct words and exactly the correct cadence mm -hmm. for like that character and especially there's some parts near the end where i'm just like yes you nailed it you nailed that paragraph mm -hmm. <laughs> and austin she jane austen loves a monologue I, she loves a monologue and and there are a lot of characters throughout sense and sensibility who provide uh big reveals and yes. so there's there's quite a few of those and so especially listening to the audiobook and and i'm you know doing other things i usually listen while i'm cleaning and mm -hmm. so i'm you know working on a task and all of a sudden i'm like oh my gosh been like five minutes and this character is still talking is yakking <laughs> away <laughs> and so for me yeah that's the thing is when you have a book like that you need a narrator who is gonna do some great voice work for you yeah because otherwise that is gonna be dull as shit mm -hmm. welcome to book nook where morgan gets to use potty mouth <gasps> oh! <laughs> this is an explicit episode because yeah obviously Book Nook just needs to be explicit. Uh, we are I get a... very passionate about books I read. And when I get passionate, I have no filter. <laughs> well, and we are just very classy over here. And uh, eh. we choose our words very thoughtfully. And sometimes a big old F word mm -hmm. is exactly what is called for. That is what I need. <laughs> yeah. It, it may not be classy, but I don't care. I Aquarius, get no fucks. Aquarius behavior is fully classy. Mm. Hashtag class. <laughs> okay. What do you want to start? I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Like, I'm so much happened in this. I'm also feel I'm feeling overstimulated right now because so much happened in the second half of this book. <laughs> yeah, we left <laughs> off with uh because going back, we cut it at 25, right? Yep. When yep. you said, okay, let's read half the book, mm -hmm. you literally mm -hmm. were like mm -hmm. 50 chapters. Yep. Let's cut it in half. And so we, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even though the cliffhanger was in chapter 23, we got two more chapters of like fallout. Yep. Was just where we ended. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we go on the journey of the girls now have had hearts broken, mm -hmm. disappointment mm -hmm. existing. Mm -hmm. And now they go. What? Now they're in town. Now they're in town. Now they're in town now and they're visiting. And they're visiting, and we met Lucy Steele, mm -hmm. which gave us the whole bombshell about Edward apparently having an attachment when Eleanor was like, oh my gosh, we were attached. And he was giving her every indica indication that they yeah. were, he was mm -hmm. pursuing. Yeah. Here we thought we're going into town. 
to just nurse Marianne's broken heart. Mm-hmm. But no, no, Eleanor. And ugh, Eleanor, she's just so she's strong and stoic. And I feel for her because you could tell you could tell just even reading that she is not OK. And she keeps telling people she is. And she just, you know, she keeps the secret. She is a lockbox. Mm-hmm. Like Eleanor, she's the kind of person that I want as my friend yeah. and my confidant. Yeah. Like Lucy still does not deserve her confidence but she got it because doesn't deserve deserve. i wish he may endeavor to deserve her oh god we're gonna talk about (laughs) colonel brandon in a second because like (laughs) i could just cry right now yeah but yeah that's the thing eleanor i was just my heart was breaking for her Mm -hmm. and just like the loneliness that i was feeling listening to this And she's just trying so hard to, you know, show herself some compassion and nurse her own wounds. But she's got to do it privately because she doesn't want to gossip. Yeah. She like, you know, she's just like, these are not my things to tell. And I don't want to ruin anybody else. Like, you know, a secret engagement could absolutely ruin Lucy Steele's reputation and completely crumble their marriage. And she's also like, let's be real. She's still fucking in love with Edward. She's not going to do anything to try to damage that guy, even though it kind of seems like maybe he was a jerk off. Maybe maybe he was a bit of a butt and like he maybe totally would deserve it. But she is taking the quiet Stoic, yeah. um, soaking in it for what four months or something, while mm-hmm. during this time of knowing yeah. that there was a secret engagement to what it is, yeah. And I think, like for me too, it showed for Eleanor, it showed a great maturity. And I said her name so weird, um, Eleanor. <laughs> Eleanor. I was staring off and just thinking, mm-hmm. but yeah, for Eleanor, Eleanor it. Mm-hmm. It shows, I think, a great maturity because, again, like she's not rash. I mean, she totally could have just been vindictive and just brought that whole thing to the ground. I'm not going to lie. There's a part of me that <laughs> is like kicking I'm, in the I door. Would do that if I were her. <laughs> Listen up, everybody. I have yeah. a story for y'all. Let me tell you about secret engagements because that uh. stuff, you were supervised <laughs> as a young couple to mm-hmm. make sure that both of you literally maintained your honor. Any insinuation of couples being alone with each other, mm-hmm. that was just salacious gossip. Mm-hmm. You had to have a mind. Yes. And especially, and they get into it more in the book, but um, for families who were very wealthy, it you had to have this approved by whoever the matriarch or patriarch was still alive. And that was the case for Edward's family, which they talk about later on in the book of his inheritance was that it whoever he married had to be approved by his mother. Yeah. And and otherwise it was like you're cut out. I'm disinheriting you. I mean, they yeah, some of the parents just really held that over their children's head cuz for real severing ties. It's yes. not just like a we're not going to, you know, no. write you nice letters and yeah. whatever. It's you literally don't belong in our family anymore. Yes. Goodbye to you. Out yes. on the iceberg you go. Yes. And can I just say too, I think um I find something fascinating about that is also culturally because, 
you know, we're in England and and I think about us as Americans and our country is so young. And so like I think back to my family and like I'm I come from a family of farmers. I'm the second generation to ever go to college in my family. I mean, we've been in this country for like maybe 150 years. That's it. And, you know, (laughs) like my ancestors like four generations ago, you know, came over on a boat and we were immigrants. And so like for me, you know, we don't have this long standing history. And I think about you know, these wealthy families that Austin is writing about who have these estates and like some of these people, like they had money hundreds and hundreds, centuries back, generations, the lineage, the lineage of this. And, you know, and so um, I just find it fascinating and I can see how people might get stuck up about that. Yeah. And and where's mom? And, you know, how people may get possessive of such a fortune and an entitlement because it's the giant ooh. money elephant in the corner of the room yeah. that everyone is taking into account for all of their decisions. It's and just old. the amount of wealth disparity, especially back mm-hmm. in the Regency era, mm-hmm. you had people who didn't have money, you had people who really didn't have money, and then you had people who were set for life for generations who yeah. owned entire you know counties or sections of counties and yes. we see in this book that people are bequeathing entire tracts of land and mm-hmm. um pieces of land with income attached to it whether it be a farm or a crop or a mm-hmm. whatever however the things are money they became landlords and then they, they became the lords mm-hmm. over that area which colonel brandon mm-hmm. what was his deal i didn't really quite understand that but he's got like a parsonage yeah so so he's got like with his estate what i understand because we both were wondering what parsonage was and we it's church adjacent Mm -hmm. and so it's the area of land and perhaps personal home Mm. of who works in the church and so that's in colonel brandon's essentially they have a portfolio of land and things and stuff and being wealthy of, you know, in the echelon of lords and colonels and everyone, he just, when they're mm-hmm. talking about how X amount a year, there's no way to, like, put that into today's dollars. It was just like you were filthy rich. Yes. You were like Beyonce and Jeff Bezos on the Titanic. Yeah. That was the world you were living in. That's the kind of money we're talking about. Yeah. So when you say you have to marry rich, it's like, well, if you're not going to be For example, with what we find out happened with Willoughby, if the money that you thought was coming down the pipeline suddenly is not coming down the pipeline, Mm -hmm. you have to pivot. Pivot. (laughs) And so that's a huge determining factor of who is getting married to who. And sometimes plans change. Sometimes the parent of the family or the decision maker of the family is like, you know, instead... Um, I really like this person's uh, wheat farm, and so I would like for you to actually instead marry their daughter, so that their wheat farm can Is become our, our wheat, wheat farm. farm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yep. you. Mm. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's true. And it's interesting because, like, I, I mean, I think that there is, at least I feel for myself as a 
white woman in middle class America, that there still are some of that pressure from society about, oh, my gosh, you know, you got to find yourself a mate. Like, you got to make sure that you got your house and your kids and your, your stuff partner. and, you know, society. And, you know, and so it's ugh, reading this. It's just like, oh, my God. Well, yes, like that is a real thing. And it stems from like you just carved out that very real part of just survival like it is just survival and it is you know not only the money it's the social acceptance that part of the survival which is so huge you know um because yeah you can have money but if people aren't going to associate with you then you've got nothing what do you like do? yeah social alienation is one of the worst things that we could do to a person absolutely yeah your lifeline was people talking about you literally being the talk of the town was how you kept your social standing and mm -hmm. like business prospects and for women husbandry prospects alive Yes, it's being human is all about connection and it's all about relationships. And so if you don't have that, if if people aren't willing to do that or be genuine with you, that's dangerous. Yeah, you see people making moves out of desperation too just because oh yeah, the money. The How money. are you going to survive? Money, 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 money. Money, 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 money. Yeah, so that's Ooh. Oh, yeah. Do you have a quote for us? I have a thing. Please. Well, there's a couple and we're doing this a little bit out of order, but either you're listening to Book Nook and you read it or you're listening to Book Nook and you don't care that we're talking about it out of order. Uh, yeah, it's chaos. You guys, it's, it's chaos. chaos. You know Woo! what to expect by now. You don't know where our thoughts are going to go. This nope. train is unleashed. No, nope. I had so many things dog-eared in my book and I just needed to note about when Marianne gets sick. We need to talk about that. Because yes. germ theory was not a thing back in Re Regency yep. England. And so people didn't know that germs were a thing. And so when people hear the word infection, they go, oh, my gosh. And so Marianne comes down with this sickness and Eleanor is stricken with concern and worry. And everyone leaves the house. They essentially evacuate to a different place across like on the other side of town, they say like on the other side of Bath or whatever. But essentially, yeah. they're like, "Hey, you and your kid, you guys yeah, all get out of here." Baby, yeah, they're and the so owners. They're like, oh no, they're the owners okay. of the house. And Marianne yep. shows up sick, and essentially, what Eleanor's uh, monologue in this part is saying is just like, "We're not telling Marianne that we kicked the owners of the house out because she's sick." But essentially, that's what we had to do. <laughs> yeah, so like you have to leave. <laughs> and so, um, the. Yeah. Can I talk about the sickness first? Yeah. Talk about the sickness yeah, because great. then we need to just talk about Marianne and Willoughby, but we're going to be talking about Willoughby again. Mm -hmm. So, but yes, there is a sickness that happens and Eleanor gets so concerned and everyone evacuates. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so I had to look this up because mm -hmm. the book said she fell sick with putrid fever. Yes. I think it was. And I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> that sounds nasty. <laughs> some, like, that's either just a really colorful description of, you know, I got a little hot, or that is some Regency era, 
language it's that just I don't know. Putrid. I do not like the word putrid. No, I, I don't either. Don't like it. So I had to Google it, and the internet told me putrid fever is a form of typhus. And so, like, she was actually, like, really actually sick. Because I just thought, like, when it said she had a putrid fever, I thought, oh, my gosh, like, she has, like, influenza or, like, she has, like, the flu. And, like, that really sucks. But, yeah, for that time period, still super dangerous because, like, you get really dehydrated and, like, you sure could die. Yeah. That's super fair. But then... The internet was telling me it's a form of typhus. And I was like, oh, so that's like actually dangerous then and like cool. So it made more sense to me then that everybody evacuated because again i was like okay well i mean she's sick it's fine you're sick and like i guess you've got a baby and like still it's 1800s and yeah what are you gonna do yeah immune systems they're probably gonna like bleed you you know and (laughs) i'm sorry the way you flailed your arms and legs as you said that they're not gonna bleed i was like being a leech (laughs) with my body and all my limbs um but yeah yeah, medical treatment they're just gonna bleed you is what they're gonna try to do when actually it's like no girl needs electrolytes so (laughs) get her some pedialyte get her some pedialyte (laughs) and a philly straw um no and so yeah i i just i had to look that up because i didn't know and there's Sometimes there's a lot of language that Jane Austen uses. It's like when I read Shakespeare and I'm like, what? Like, excuse me? Thither? <laughs> hey? Hey? It's... Oh, that's great. So, uh, yeah, so she's real sick. But, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Willoughby. Because she, while she is sick, mm. there is a whole lot that happens. Yeah. And we find out a lot about our favorite Regency era fuckboy. Yep. (laughs) Our favorite Regency era fuckboy. Okay, we are going um, all the way back to way back in here. Um, I I laughed hilarily, hilarily Mm -hmm. uh, throughout Willoughby's chat at Eleanor. Oh my god, I just gave you like major side eye which no one can see, no. but I did because I rolled my eyes. I lost count of how mm-hmm. many times and I just was like shouting in my mind like girl, don't you dare believe this. Right? Just <sighs> stop it. Okay. So I I have to and like this is not a read the whole book podcast, but there were a couple mm-hmm. significant parts that I was just like No, I love when you read you know, quotes. You know, okay. I do know. Uh, So, essentially, it opens up with Eleanor hearing some noises and thinking that it's someone else. And, oh, snap, it's Willoughby. And Willoughby now has been essentially, uh, we found out that he was married, essentially. not even married. Just like. He just had sex with some girl yeah. and was like, oh my God, I love you. Because and of the money. They had money mm-hmm. and then okay. they had sex. There was an attachment, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, it was not a respectful attachment. Yeah. So Eleanor knows no. none of these things. And uh, essentially Willoughby's showing up to mm. explain himself 
and fill in all the details, not only for Eleanor, but us as the audience. Well, and by this time, had Colonel Brandon already told her? Because I think Colonel Brandon had talked to her. Yep. And that was a, I thought that was a lovely conversation because, uh, you know, he had told her like, hey, I really didn't want to say anything, essentially, right? Yeah. And he, again, Colonel Brandon just seems like the kind of person who he doesn't want to shame anybody, but it got to a point where he was like, hey, I need to say something and I don't want to be gossipy here and I really hope I can trust you, but there is some shenanigans, okay, that I think you need to be aware of so that you can make an informed decision about who you want to be tied with and who's going to be in your circle. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. And so then this, though, I was not expecting Willoughby to show up. And then later, and then he explained it all. It was a very different tone, Samantha. It's just, okay. It was a very different yeah. tone. Yeah, I just, I'm trying to pick a part to start in, and I'm just going to go, right? We're just going to go. 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 Miss <clears throat> <clears throat> Dashwood. For half an hour, for 10 minutes, I entreat you to stay. No, sir. Oh, my gosh. Do you want to go to back and forth? Do you want to have a dialogue? Oh, I. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you want to be Eleanor? Yeah. Hang on. Let me get my book. <laughs> Ooh, pause. <laughs> yeah. I'll be Willoughby and you be Eleanor. Morgan, we're going to start in chapter 44. I gotta set my sucker down. Yep, at the top of the um Okay, 244, you said? Chapter 44. Okay, um, page? and it is page 307. Three but 306 is the number you're gonna look for on the other side. Okay. Welcome so to reading along. Yeah, and where are we? You're gonna start where it says the Oh, you've second got Miss paragraph. Dashwood for mm-hmm. half an hour. Okay, got it. no sir is where you're starting. Oh, okay. You start over though. Great. <clears throat> Miss Dashwood, for half an hour, for ten minutes, I entreat you to stay. No, sir, she replied with firmness. I shall not stay. Your business cannot be with me. The servants, I suppose, forgot to tell you that Mr. Palmer was not in the house. Had they told me, he cried with vehemence, that Mr. Palmer and all his relations were at the devil, it would not have turned me from the door. My business is with you, and only you. With me? In the most utmost amazement. Well, sir, be quick, and if you can, less violent. Sit down, and I will be both. She hesitated. She knew not what to do. The possibility of Colonel Brandon's arriving and finding her there came across her. But she had promised to hear him, and her curiosity no less than her honor was engaged. After a moment's recollection, therefore, concluding that prudence required dispatch, and that her acquaintance would best promote it, she walked silently towards the table and sat down. He took the opposite chair, and for half a minute, not a word was said by either. Pray be quick, sir, said Eleanor impatiently. I have no time to spare. He was sitting in an attitude of deep meditation and seemed not to hear her. Your sister, said he, with abruptness a moment afterwards, is out of danger? I heard it from the servant, God be praised. But is it true? Is it really true? Eleanor would not speak. He repeated the inquiry with yet greater eagerness. For God's sake, tell me, is she out of danger or is she not? We hope she is. He rose up and walked across the room. 
had I known as much half an hour ago. But since, since I am here, speaking with a forced vivacity as he returned to his seat, what does it signify? For once, Miss Dashwood, it would be the last time, perhaps. Let us be cheerful together. I am in a fine mood for gaiety. Tell me honestly, a deeper glow overspreading his cheeks, do you think me the most knave or a fool? Eleanor looked at him with greater astonishment than ever. She began to think that he must be in liquor. The strangeness of such a visit, and of such manners, seemed no otherwise intelligible. And with this impression, she immediately rose, saying, Mr. Willoughby, I advise you at present to return to home. I am not at leisure to remain with you longer. Whatever your business may be with me, it will be better recollected and explained tomorrow. I understand you, he replied with an expressive smile and a voice perfectly calm. Yes, I am very drunk. A pint of porter with my cold beef at the Marlborough was enough to overset me. They continue on for a while, but just the gall, the gall that he comes in. And that was the part that just set me off is that he shows up at Eleanor's unannounced drunk and needing to talk about her sister that he unceremoniously wooed that's not the right word but unwillful unbeknownst but he wooed her and he wooed her hard and he knew what he was doing mm-hmm. <sighs> and now he shows up drunk to be like no but eleanor hold on no i just want to tell you just let me and let eleanor me tell you talks about like we read in the first half of the novel Eleanor even says to herself in her mind that we read Willoughby's like a brother to her. She's like, he is here all the time and he is so good to all of us and we love him and he has become so intimate with us that I consider him to be a brother and a confidant and they were friends. And so this is also a huge betrayal to her as well because it's just like, uh, no, not only have you broken my sister's heart, but I thought we were friends. And turns out you are a douche. So what What do we do? The hell are you doing? Yeah. And the fact that like, yeah, her sister is sick. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing, sir? Showing up drunk like this to entertain yourself with this drama. And like, she got stuff to do. Yeah. She's busy. I can't. I just can't even with him. Yeah, there's another part during this whole Willoughby-Eleanor conversation Mm -hmm. that also I just highlighted as I listened to it because I thought that it was just so the gall. Like, just because when someone wants to explain their point of view to you, they're obviously going to paint themselves in a little bit less of a harsh light unless, you know, whatever the situation is. But Mm -hmm. this was the bit that I was just like, oh, Willoughby, you little sneak. So this is in the middle of his, uh, Eleanor, please feel bad for me. Uh, let me tell you how hard everything was and how tough it was to be Willoughby. My actions and all the decisions I made are just like really hard for me. It's just I'm having some feelings about my choices and I need you to listen to them. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? <laughs> okay, here he goes. The next morning brought another short note from Marianne. Still affectionate, open. Artless, confiding, everything that could make my conduct most hateful. I could not answer it. I tried, but could not frame a sentence. But I thought of her, 
I believe, every moment of the day, if you can pity me, Miss Dashwood, pity my situation as it was then. With my head and heart full of your sister, I was forced to play the happy lover to another woman. Those three or four weeks were worse than all. Well, at last, as I need not tell you, you were forced on me. And what a sweet figure I cut. What an evening of agony it was. Marianne, beautiful as an angel on one side, calling me Willoughby in such a tone. Oh, God. Holding out her hand to me, asking me for an explanation with those bewitching eyes fixed in such a speaking solicitude on my face. And Sophia, jealous as the devil, on the other hand, looking all that was. Well, it does not signify. It's, it's over now. Such an evening. I ran away from you all as soon as I could, but not before I had seen Marianne's sweet face as white as death. That was the last, last look I ever had of her. The last manner in which she appeared to me. It was a horrid sight. Yet when I thought of her today as really dying, it was a kind of comfort to me to imagine that I knew exactly how she would appear to those who saw her last in this world. She was before me, constantly before me, as I traveled, the same look and hue. Don't tell me that you're imagining her pale face after you were a butthead to her and you got found out and she sees you with another woman and now she's on her deathbed and you're like, well, if she dies, at least I can imagine this face and like, mm-hmm. I'll be the last one who saw her. Yeah. It just made me so sad <sighs> to see her that brokenhearted. You did that to her. It was just so tough for me. I just need you to know how hard it was for me. And like what I got from that passage is him basically like translation is I was comforted when I thought like she was going to die because then at least like, you know, I wouldn't just have this memory of her looking dead. Everybody will. And also like, you know, all the life has drained out of her anyway. So like she might as well just be dead because like she's so broken hearted. Mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. like what i can't all i hear when he talks is just there everything is defensive yeah it's whiny and i do not hear him ask for forgiveness for anything he like states things that he thinks he did wrong or that he literally knows. And he's like, I know this was bad, but also I just hope you can take pity on me. And like, or it's just all, oh my gosh, you just, you probably think I'm the worst, don't you? Like, oh, I just, I hope that you don't totally hate me. Or is there any way you can't? It's all about his reputation. It's not actually about their connection. Like I never hear what I want to hear from him, which is, oh my God, Eleanor, I did something wrong and I'm really sorry like that hurt you and I could see how hurt your sister was and I can explain to you but like I don't expect you to forgive me because I know that was shitty but I made my choices. It was his vanity. He loved it. He loved the attention. He always says somewhere in there he's like I've always been expensive and liked the attention (sighs) and him being welcomed into there with the family and then Marianne being there and just enveloping him with all of her loveliness and he let it happen. He let it happen. Mm. Yes. So uh. another part that I have and it's just the end and the end of this bit but this mm-hmm. is the last time that we see Willoughby mm-hmm. and I just love how Jane literally God, exits this character. Mm-hmm. 
she um <clears throat> he says as to that said he i must rub through the world as well as i can domestic happiness is out of the question if however i am allowed to think that you and yours feel any interest in my fate and actions it may be the means it may put me on my guard at least it may be something to live for marianne to be sure is lost to me forever were i even by any blessed chance at liberty again Eleanor stopped him with a reproof. Yeah, like he's going to be at liberty again to go shopping for a lady. Mm -mm, Okay. Yeah, good for you. (sighs) Well, he replied, once more goodbye. I shall now go away and live in dread of one event. What do you mean? Your sister's marriage. You are very wrong. She can never be more lost to you than she is now. But she will be gained by someone else. And if you, and if that someone, excuse me, I'm going to do that again because I could not make it through that line. Yeah, I see you having goosebumps over there. But she will be gained by someone else. And if that someone should be the very he whom of all others I could at least bear. But I will not stay to rob myself of all your compassionate goodwill by showing you that where I have most injured. I can least forgive. Goodbye. God bless you. And with these words, he almost ran out of the room. Ugh. Wow. Willoughby. So there, there's the tale of Willoughby. And choices, you guys. I mean, I was just going to say, how do you think Eleanor felt after he left? But literally the next sentence is Eleanor, for some time after he left her, for some time even after the sound of his carriage had died away, remained too much oppressed by a crowd of ideas widely differing in themselves, but of which sadness was the general result to think even of her sister. Mm -hmm. That's how she was feeling, Morgan. She just got got by someone's whole emotional tidal wave Mm -hmm. and the implications. Yeah. Yeah, I think, too, you know, when they say what the still waters run deep, uh, that is so true of Eleanor. You know, she is I know Eleanor's in my real life. I'm thinking of them right now in my head right now. And I just think like, yep, those are the kinds of people they are quiet on the surface. They are reserved but busy, 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 busy mind. I mean, their brains never turn off. They are constantly taking in everything around them. Like Eleanor too, true empath. You know, Mm -hmm. she just can, she soaks up everything like a sponge. And, you know, it's just like, she's not only listening to all of this chatter and poor thing, she's a woman in the 1800s. And so all she has is to do is just hang out in sitting rooms with other obnoxious women. You can't just like turn on your favorite music and like jam out and be angry and whatever. Like there's no internet. You don't get to go out and like run and like do stuff because like you're a woman in the 1800s. Stay still. So like you, the oppression. Anyways, but like boring and also. And so (laughs) for her, I just am like, yeah, like that would drive anyone crazy i think and so i that i think just as you read that was such a perfect uh little snippet to show yeah just all the whole character of eleanor and just her strengths because i too i got absolute chills yeah when she makes that comment back to willoughby and that someone else will gain her sister and and i think for me 
Yeah, Eleanor. The, I shall now go away and live in dread of one event. What do you mean? Your sister's marriage. You're very wrong. She can never be more lost to you than she is now. But she will be gained by someone else. Yes. Look at that. you, you little Ooh. smarmy, looking at what other people have. Choices. Oh, my gosh. And I, I, so the thing I love about Eleanor through this whole thing, and as I've gotten to know her through this novel. Our friend Eleanor. Oh, my gosh. Just Eleanor, she is a vault and she is a brick wall. I mean, she is the one who's going to stand up for you. If you are her friend, she's got some fierce loyalty, that one. And so, and she, especially with Marianne, like you can tell they have such a close bond. And when Eleanor loves and respects somebody, she stands up for them and she's going to go to bat for them every time she doesn't give up on them. And you see that, too. At least I did. I see that, too, with Edward, because she knows herself so much and so well. And she trusts her intuition. She Mm -hmm. trusts her feelings, that sensibility. So she really leans into that and you can, you know, see her struggling with getting to know Lucy because she's like, no, this cannot be true. What I'm hearing about Edward, it's just not matching up with what I know. It's absolutely impossible. And in the end, like, she's right. And Edward does come through for her and, you know, she... Like that pays off just like having her intuition and really listening to herself. Mm -hmm. And so I just admire that about her and I love that about her. And, you know, that's the thing is that that fierce loyalty mm, is one of her defining traits. Mm -hmm. And as we're shouting out Eleanor, let's quick remember that in this next part, Marianne gets better. And she has had some she time. Lives. Spoiler she alert. Lives. She lives. Thank goodness. So she has had some time. Morgan, I actually thought of you when I was listening to this part because I maybe you have identified in the last couple of days of having the flu and being bedridden. I thought I was dying. Yep. Lightly think you're dying. My body um, thought we were dying. We it was were like, just, we're done. We're ready. We're <laughs> opting out. We're powering down. We're not interested anymore. And we don't need water. Uh, but... Marianne had some time to think, and I just Mm -hmm. want to read this part that I also dog-eared. My illness has made me think. It has given me leisure and calmness for serious recollection. Long before I was enough recovered to talk, I was perfectly able to reflect. I considered the past. I saw my own behavior. And since the beginning of our acquaintance with him last autumn, nothing but a series of imprudence towards myself and want of kindness in others, I saw that my own feelings had prepared my sufferings, that my want of fortitude under them had almost led me to the grave. My illness, I well knew, had been entirely brought on by myself, by such negligence of my own health, as I as I had felt even at the time to be wrong. She's saying, like, my body stopped me because I was being so ridiculous, so it put me to bed. Like, I just, I'm giggling through that whole paragraph, but it's just like, mm-hmm. she's like, I well knew it had been entirely brought on by myself by such negligence of my own health as I had to felt even at the time to be wrong. it just I just laughed so hard at that because it's like, yeah, Marianne, you put yourself through something, you made some mm-hmm. choices, and now mm-hmm. your body's like, slow down, girl. We need to recover Yep, because our body 
is readjusting to the new reality that mm-hmm. Willoughby is not a thing. Yep. It's not a thing, girl. It's no. never going to happen. No. But that also shows like her maturity level mm-hmm. versus Willoughby's where like she's able to look at a bad situation that came upon her in life and be able to say, wow, that really sucked. And also, hmm, I can see how some of my actions like led to this outcome. So, all right, like let's all own that and move forward. Like that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Instead of get all reflection. Yeah, she could have gotten all defensive, like, oh wow. Like, why did I get sick? It's because I'm brokenhearted and everything's the worst. And uh, uh, uh." yep, that's also another way you can deal with that situation. Both can be true, but you know, but we look at that. Mm -hmm. Look at how they both deal with those situations. I think that shows that they're not right for each other. Well, and clearly you're more mature, honey. This was the girl who at the beginning was like, mother, he reads weirdly. and I don't think Eleanor should like him. And now she's like, wow, I'm thinking about all of my choices over the last couple months towards this guy that Mm -hmm. he never said that, you know, he never said that we were together. But I let my heart get ahead of myself. Some really good growing. Yeah. Raise your standards. Yes. Yes. People, raise your standards. Got your standards, raise them. You're better than that. You deserve better. Better, better, better. Wow. Okay, so uh, people we haven't talked about. So I need to go back to Colonel Brandon. Yep. Please. Yep. Because then then we've got to talk about Edward. Yep. Yeah. Let's let's take some time. Bless (laughs) the Colonel Brandons of this world. Oh, I just, oh my God, you know, I'm in he, love with him. We, I'm in love with him. Colonel Brandon showing up in every way because this whole time he's been watching. Mm-hmm. He's just been watching and pining and seeing Marianne. But not in a creepy love. way. No. Can we say that, too? It's been Absolutely. in a very because I, you know, we live in the 21st century. And so I am just reading with that lens now. And. I just think like older man, like, you know, she's like, he's like 15 years older than her and just like really quiet standing in the corner. That could be very creepy mm-hmm. and alarming. And it's not. No. Jane it, it, like the way that him. Jane writes it, I'm just like, I love him. And I became his friend first. I feel like I really started to like him as just like a... Yeah, kind of older brother type. Part of the family. You're part of the family and we're comfortable. And then he gets romantic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I am I was being wooed at the end of the book. And I was like, what's happening? Yeah, tell me more about that. So oh. at what point did your heart start a fluttering when you realized that Jane is now going for it and giving us the Colonel Brandon <sighs> well, that we always dreamed of? Okay, so... In his monologue to Eleanor, mm-hmm. where he's explaining his acquaintanceship with Willoughby and how they know each other, that is where I just had a huge moment of gaining respect for him because dude is like out. He's got this ward, this love child from the woman that could have been right <laughs> like i mean this is the most literally the most tragic thing i could ever think of i'm thinking like oh my gosh if like you know the one that got away quote unquote and just like their love child and 
he's raising this kid so that they don't grow up in disgrace yeah. or whatever. Because the and mother was disgraced. The mother was disgraced. And so Colonel Brandon is like, hey, mother. And died. Yep. I can no longer love you because you're dead. And so now I'm going nope. to take your child and I'm going yeah. to raise them. Yeah. And through the journey. Mm-hmm. Give them money. I'm mm-hmm. going to give them opportunity. I'm going to give them education. Ugh. It's like, you know, I couldn't save the person I love. So I'm going to try to save their offspring. Because it's like a part of them. And it's the <gasps> selflessness of the, you know, raising another <laughs> and man's then, child. Not even that. Oh, my God. Not even that. But he never told anybody who this ward was. And so everyone secretly thinks it's his love child. Because uh, I can't remember who it was, but there is at one point Eleanor is, you know, having a conversation with a woman in town and, you know, of course she's gossipy and she starts talking about Colonel Brandon about the ward and like, oh, it's, you know, everyone knows it's probably his love child, but I mean, we don't all really care because Colonel Brandon's just so wonderful. I mean, have you met him? And everybody <laughs> loves Colonel Brandon. I think like that says enough about Colonel Brandon. We're like, this whole book is all about illegitimate boy shenanigans. Uh, boy and, shenanigans. Yeah. And we've got this whole town that's just like, yeah, but Colonel Brandon he can have a side piece. Green light, that's like, fine. He's just that good of a person. I mean, <laughs> what do you do with that? And, when you find out that, that not only have you now lost the woman you love and oh. you're raising the child that they had. And then. With, yeah. And then <laughs> through all of your care and your money and your decision making on their behalf to be raised in Regency society, then they run aground of Willoughby. Then. And Willoughby sees her in his sights. Mm-mm-mm. It's just so inappropriate. That's Willoughby. And the personal attack and ripple uh, onto Colonel Brandon from Willoughby mm-hmm. and his actions. Mm-hmm. Just how many levels of hurt mm-hmm. Colonel Brandon experienced. Yes. And again, it's the whole thing where uh, when then we're talking with Eleanor and Willoughby and he brings this up and he's like, oh, okay, so I guess you know, huh? Somebody told you. And well, I just want you to know, like, I had no idea. I had no idea this happened. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody told me recently and then I found out. Again, you're getting all defensive, which is gross. That's gross and it's unbecoming. Mm-hmm. And you could have had this opportunity to set things right. Also, you have a child now. Like, there is literally a human being, a piece of you that is out in the world. Mm-hmm. And like, that means nothing to you. Like, he doesn't bring this up at all. So that part struck me and stuck with me. Clearly, that's important <laughs> for me <laughs> because I was like, this is this is some bullshit. Yeah. This is some bullshit, Willoughby. Okay. Yeah. And so... That was just absolutely astonishing to find out like it was just a bomb getting dropped here that Willoughby has gone and done something that destructive and to someone who's to so someone adjacent. Know, yeah. And and is so close. Mm-hmm. It's oh, yeah, that was some drama right there. Yeah. So Soap Eleanor opera. finds out and she knows, and then she yep. has a conversation with Will- Willoughby. Mm-hmm. And Colonel Brandon has just been 
now he's in he's with the fam he's friends with everyone he's just he like the older brother type is sick yep. like goes and gets their mother yes that I was mean, the other thing he goes and gets their mother <sighs> and takes care of her Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah, and delivers her safely to her <gasps> child. Because yes. if you're in Regency England and you are not near your family, and then you get a letter, not a text message, not no. an email, not a phone call, you get a letter that says, dated two days ago. Yeah. Hurry. Yes. Your child is sick. And the next letter is going to be delivered. What do you stay? Do you jump no. in the horse? Try to meet the person on the road? Like, do you just go for like there are so the stressful decision making that the permanence of the decision making that was made back in the day consistently just had more implications of literally do I stay or do I go now? Like, yes. And an elderly woman mm-hmm. living on her own. Remember, she also has her youngest child with her. Yeah. And so like you're an elderly woman alone. You've got a young child with you. They also live in the cottage, right? In the middle of nowhere that they're renting from her cousin. They don't have a mode of transportation. Remember, because, well, yeah, because Willoughby's horse that he gave to Marianne was technically on his property. And they didn't even have stables. Which is stupid. It's like you give a gift and you're like, but I'm going to keep it at my house. So like, I'm rolling my eyes so hard right now. It's so... It's so inappropriate and like just from like our lens now, (laughs) it doesn't seem as big of a deal, but it's like someone buying, Morgan, someone bought you a Lamborghini. Someone bought you four Lamborghinis. You don't have garage space for them, but you now have four Lamborghinis. But I'll just keep them at my house. But I'm going to keep them at my house. Like a while away. But you can come visit them. You can come and play with them at my house whenever. The impertinence. Just the inappropriate. Mm. This guy, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. It's just wild. Okay. So Colonel Brandon. <laughs> oh, take a big breath. I need to oxygenate my lungs. We're just like locked uh, eyes and so angry Jane about just. Austin, I'm so disappointed in these characters, but she wrote them so perfectly because I'm sitting here, hundreds Genius. of years in the future, being like, "Look at these relatable shenanigans that Still. literally the themes mm-hmm. over and over stand the test of yep. time." Of the shenanigans will shenanigan, oh, but yeah. there will also be people like Colonel Brandon. Who will be pure of heart and Mm -hmm. have kindness and see the big picture. Because he does a lot of big picture seeing at the end of this book. Yep. He's like, I'm in love with Marianne Mm -hmm. and she's sick. And there's all of these like loose ends right now. And I'm Colonel Brandon. What can I do about it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because Willoughby, he's the kind of dude I decided he just likes the drama he goes like everything about him it's all very much on one end of the experience spectrum right it's all like he's expensive he's expensive expensive. he just wants to have fun boys just wanna have fun okay so i can't um and so I don't want to pay Cindy Lauper any money, so I changed the end I of that. I will. Love you, Cindy. Uh, <laughs> I will edit that moment. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I forgot what I was saying now because I just got excited. Oh, yeah. Willoughby. Willoughby. And his so, expensive lifestyle. And his expensiveness. So he just goes from one highfalutin good time to the next, and then he bails 
And, you know, he's a bailer. Yeah, he's a bailer. And like, literally, I'm thinking about this as we're talking about it and and not as I was listening. This is live thinking this right now. Live Aquarius thinking. behavior bringing you I'm, live thinking. A thought is developing right yeah. now and you're live for it. So like Willoughby, he just likes the drama and he likes the stories. And I feel like that's just really why he came back to talk to Eleanor. It wasn't because he was sorry. He wasn't seeking forgiveness. Nothing about his speech indicates that he was seeking forgiveness or any sort of connection or any sort of compassion. It was a performance. It was, was a performance. He was performing for Eleanor and then he oh, ran away. It was. That's what it was. He is one of yep. the people that does things to collect the stories so that they have stories to tell other people so they seem fancy and expensive too. Yes. <sighs> Look at me. Look at me. I'm Willoughby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Wow. That. I just had a very strong feeling about that thought that you had live here on Aquarius Behavior. That was that was uh. some realness. Hey, Morgan, let's take a stretch break. Let's stretch it out. Hydrate. Woo. Woo, woo, woo. Come back in a second for more sense and sensibility and Regency ridiculous energy. Hey, Abpod listeners. Hope you're feeling groovy and this episode is bringing a slice of nice to your day. Did you know you could follow AquariusBehavior.pod on Instagram to see weekly episode updates and behind the scenes podcast pictures? Yeah, it's true. You can also email the show at AquariusBehavior.pod at gmail.com to share your friendship stories or suggest a segment. Stay hydrated, buddies. Now on with the show. Is this a book about apologies and ways to communicate that? Because as a reader, after I read Willoughby's whole thing, mm -hmm. I felt very empty. There was not an apology in there. Mm -hmm. It did not exist. It was a performance. Mm -hmm. I felt angry. Yeah. I was angered which tends to be my baseline emotions. <laughs> we love her. She's welcome. <laughs> she shows up. She's very defensive, just wants to make sure, you know. She's always in the group. She's very social. She's the straight and narrow. Very social. <laughs> she just wants to be there just to be involved. She's protecting us. Mm -hmm. But she showed uh, up in the front with this but one. But she showed up in the front with this one. So that told me right there, there is something wrong with Willoughby. Like, no, 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 no. I don't get these emotions just from anything. and. No, it's not okay. Yeah. And, and so, like, let's talk. Yeah, let's talk forgiveness for a second. Um, can we can we bounce over to Edward let's, and then end with Colonel Brandon? Yeah, let's talk about because we'll have to do we'll have to talk about Edward and Colonel Brandon mm -hmm. and how cool things happen. Yep. And then we're gonna have to talk about Edward and Eleanor, and then we're gonna have to talk about Colonel Brandon again. Yes. So that's the um the syllabus for Great. from now until that's the, the end of this Thank episode. Thank you so much. Because there's so much to talk this, about. Yeah. Yeah. There mm -hmm, yeah, there mm -hmm, is. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, with Colonel Brandon, he is looking at this situation saying, Well golly, I'm in love with Marianne and I'm just well, the watcher on the wall until something happens. But I also have this portfolio of land and property and parsonages. And so he ends up being like, you know what I'm going to do? Hey, Eleanor, will you actually tell Edward that I would love to give him my parsonage in Devonshire or wherever it is? I, I went for it. Mm -hmm. Delaford. 
Devonshire. Devonshire is also a Devonshire. place. Devonshire. Okay, hold on. So I, I just want to tell you that if that's in your your brain space, mm-hmm. that's also a place. Yeah, it was the first that word heard. that I saw on the page. I yeah, mm-hmm. I that was a big big thing because you know Colonel Brandon he has it. It's kind of known. I'm saying that in quotations because uh, it's not known, but. It's just the truth at this point of the novel that Marion has no interest in Colonel Brandon. Yep. And and everybody's talked about that. And it's all, oh, poor Colonel Brandon, because he's being overlooked. But what can you do? <laughs> and, and stuff. And so Colonel Brandon is just extending kindness with no expectation Strings. of getting anything in return. Because he also tells people, oh, my gosh, like, there's no way you know, someone like Marianne would ever be interested in me. Like she's, you know, so wonderful and vibrant and there's just no chance. And so he is just acting out of the goodness of his heart right now. It so it seems because, yeah, there's no strings attached here. He hasn't asked for anything. There's nothing presumably that he could gain from this situation. No. And who is Edward to Colonel Brandon? Like, really? Exactly. He like, is an acquaintance, but also, also remember, though, remember, technically, he is a relation of Marianne and Eleanor's mm-hmm. family because he is the brother of their sister in law. The adjacent. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right. The, well, he's technically, he, Edward, is the brother of the wife of their half brother i love your beautiful brain so, so not much. even like their sister-in-law i just like it's a little more distant it's it's the distance that we need in our hearts it's a distance for their relation it's a distance that i am comfortable with mm-hmm. knowing that they end up together in the end yeah. we'll say that yeah i'm comfortable with it uh now <laughs> distant back, enough back to <laughs> samantha's location finder yes, uh, the place that is given yeah, to edward it? it's a it's, d word it's called delaford Delaford. Delaford. And um, but yeah, there's so many there's so many lovely names in this book that it's like, OK, which which area of land are we talking about here? But uh, yeah, so Colonel Brandon is like, hey, Edward, I'm going to give you Delaford. It's going to be this amount of living. And there's a moment where now Eleanor gets to tell Edward, like, I'm giving you a living or excuse me, Colonel Brandon is giving you a living. And Edward essentially just like freaks out and runs away he like doesn't know what to do with the information he's just like wow okay okay and then he leaves (laughs) just yeah the overwhelm yeah he's overwhelmed and so now eleanor is like wow well he has this living at delaford that's exciting and he's gonna be you know married now we can go marry lucy now we can go marry lucy and i've been imagining this what we skipped over was he was disinherited when because the secret got out about lucy about the secret engagement about the secret engagement Mm -hmm. and it wasn't eleanor didn't say anything it came out all on its own and he was a it was a little bit of drama not a total disgrace but he was disinherited enough because he also was like well yes it is true like he owned up to it and just is gonna go ahead with this marriage apparently Mm -hmm. and was like yeah i'm gonna honor it even though my mom's not gonna give me any of our money and i don't get the house i've been written out yeah that's tough Mm -hmm. that sucks 
So that's where he's at. And yeah. then this happens. And now, what do you got for us? So many things. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I was trying to f- go back and find the part where Eleanor does tell him the thing. And I think that my dog ear just fell. So we're just going to take mm. a minute. Pause. <laughs> found it okay (laughs) i'm not gonna read all of it it's just so funny how all of a sudden he yeah eleanor had just been congratulating herself in the midst of her perplexity that however difficult it might be to express herself properly by letter it was at least preferable to giving the information by word of mouth when her visitor entered to force her upon the greatest exertion of all her astonishment and confusion were very great on his so sudden appearance. She had not seen him before since his engagement became public, and therefore not since his knowing her to be acquainted with it, which, with the consciousness of what she had been thinking of, and what she had to tell him, made her feel particularly uncomfortable for some minutes. He, too, was much distressed, and they sat down together in a most promising state of embarrassment. <laughs> I I love the words, the most promising state of embarrassment. It's like, all right, let's just sit in this hot tub of hot, hot embarrassingness. <laughs> There's no way for this not uh, to be awkward. It's we like, all have to endure this. Yep, this is, we are all wanting to run away like Lil- Willoughby did. But no, here we go. And we're going to have this conversation. With this. So, uh, um, so she said, excuse me, sat down together in a most promising state of embarrassment. Embarrassment. Whether he had asked her pardon for his intrusion on first coming into the room, he could not recollect. But determining to be on the safe side, he made an apology in form as soon as he could say anything after taking a chair. Miss Jennings told me, said he, that you wished to speak with me. At least I understood her so. Or I certainly should not have intruded on you in such a manner. Though at the same time, I should have been extremely sorry to leave London without seeing you and your sister, especially as it will most likely be some time. It's not probable that I should soon have the pleasure of meeting you again. I go to Oxford tomorrow. Uh, And so he's like, I, you know, that like I'm married and someone told me, Miss Jennings told me to come talk to you, but I'm leaving tomorrow. So what is it? You would not have gone, however, said Eleanor, recovering herself, and determined to get over what she so much dreaded as soon as possible. Without receiving our good wishes, even if we had not been able to give them to you in person, Miss Jennings was quite right in which she said, I have something of consequence to inform you of, which I was on the point of communicating on my paper. I am charged with the most agreeable office. Breathing rather faster than usual as she spoke, Colonel Brandon, who was only here ten minutes ago, has desired me to say that understanding you mean to take orders, he has a great pleasure in offering you the living at Delaford, now just vacant, and only wishes it were more valuable, and allow me to congratulate you on having so respectful and well-judging a friend, and and to join in his wish that the living, it's about two hundred a year, were much more considerable, and as might enable you to... It might be more than a temporary accommodation to yourself, such, in short, as might establish all your views of happiness. It's like, how fast is she picking and choosing her words? Because she was rehearsing what she was going to say in her letter, and now she has to word vomit. Mm -hmm. Not only Colonel Brandon is giving you a living, um, we're also happy for you, but not me. Not me specifically, just generally all of us. And so, you know, um, we're just... I'm so 
thrilled that this might be more than a temporary accommodation. And in short, it might establish all your views of happiness. It's like, let's talk about maturity here. Um, (laughs) And also, like, it's like when you're telling a kid to apologize and they're saying it through grit teeth because they just have. And it's like Eleanor's just like, all right, we got to get this out. It's uncomfortable for everyone. No one's having a good time. And here's the well wishes. And then he's going to walk out this door Mm -hmm. and that'll be it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The maturity. Also, I was delighted by your reading. I could not stifle my giggles at the end because I could perfectly imagine Eleanor in this scene. Yes, just kind of trying so hard to keep her composure and just, you know, stumbling a little bit because she the can't quite figure out what her next word's going to be and just the slight pauses. But she's trying not to pause because she just wants to get it done with. And, you know, here's all the information and I didn't forget anything. There's no reason for me to contact you again. I've relayed like, everything in the voice message that Colonel Brandon entreated me. up with a text. Like, <laughs> after our phone call. Send the messenger 10 miles behind. No. Uh, Because, yeah, it's so true. And I agree. I mean, my God, the maturity and also, oh, my gosh, my heart, my heart just breaks for her because this is so hard. And girl is just like, really, you can see she's just enveloping herself in compassion right now for herself. Like, we're going to get through this. Like, yeah, we can't avoid it. And so we just got to do it. And then it'll be done and we can move on and we, we can, can go cry about it later. Lock it out yeah. and put it in the box. <laughs> put it in the box. I'm thinking about it again. We'll lock our heart away. Yeah. So, so then a couple bits later, I think it's for weeks. There's a couple weeks that go by. And then one day they're all hanging out and the doctor is by for some reason or another. I think it was like the baby needed something. But she's like, doctor, is there any news in town? And he's like smiling slightly. And he essentially says, um, I suppose you know, ma'am, that Mr. Ferrars is married. And so Marianne's sitting there. She gives a violent start and fixes her eyes on Eleanor. Saw her turning pale. So we get some eyes on Eleanor for this scene, which I thought was hilarious. So it says, Marianne gave a violent start, fixed her eyes upon Eleanor, saw her turning pale and fell back in her chair in hysterics. Miss Dashwood, whose eyes, as she answered the servant's inquiry, had intuitively taken the same direction, was shocked to perceive by Eleanor's consonance how much she really suffered in a moment afterwards. Alike distressed by Marianne's situation, knew not on which child to bestow her principal attention. Both of my daughters are in crisis. What do I do? Mm -hmm. Both of them are suffering heartbreak. What do I do? Oh my gosh. So <laughs> poor mother. Then um ooh, I'm gonna do a completely different non-lady, non-gentleman accent. We're gonna we're gonna um speak as Thomas. <clears throat> Let's see who he is. I see Mr. Ferrars myself, ma'am, this morning at Exeter, and his lady too, Miss Steele, as it was. They was stopping in a chase at the door and the new London inn. As I went there with a message from Sally at the park on her brother, who is one of the postboys. I happened to look up as I went by the chase, and so I see directly it was the youngest Miss Steele. So I took off my hat, and she knew me and called to me and inquired after you, ma'am, and the young ladies, especially Miss Marianne, and bid me I should give her compliments and Mr. Ferrars their best compliments and service, and how sorry they were that they, excuse me, how sorry they was <laughs> that they had not time to come and see you. But they was in a great hurry to go forwards, for they was going further down for a little while. But howsoever, when they come back, they'd make sure to come and see you. 
So Thomas is just like, hey, ladies, tip of the hat. Um, talk of the town. Mr. Ferrars and Mrs. Steele, the youngest, are now married. And Eleanor's like, Mr. Ferrars, the only one I care about. Edward, oh, no. I also just, yeah, like you said, all eyes on Eleanor. Mm. Just her worst nightmare yeah. come true is everyone is looking at her and seeing her because she always ha- got her shields up. Yeah. She's armored up for her day. No one will ever know what she's thinking or feeling. Yeah. She's locked down. And, of course, Marianne, because... <sighs> For better or for worse, she usually can't hide from Marianne. Like, she and Marianne are very connected and they're very in tune. Yes, Marianne misread the situation a little bit with Edward. But overall, they are very in tune to one another's feelings. And Marianne usually is the one who I think she thinks very similarly to Eleanor but she expresses it outwardly. And yes. so usually, you know, we get to see an expression of how Eleanor is feeling through Marianne. Mm-hmm. And so like, and that for me has always been how I have read through this book or listened through it is, okay, I'm getting, you know, what Eleanor is saying in her head. And then I am getting to see Marianne's reaction Mm -hmm. and so and they typically complement one another and so this is just the worst case scenario for Eleanor is that she has been keeping this secret Mm -hmm. and she has specifically not been sharing with Marianne because she doesn't want to be seen she doesn't want to hurt Marianne and like put something else on her plate she's very self-sacrificing here but also I think part of it I'm going to tell you, girl, I think that she knew Marianne would see this and she would really see how much Eleanor is hurting. And she was not ready to face that. Yeah. I don't think she was ready to face it. Yeah. And now she's got it because it's here and it's in her face. She was so busy with Willoughby this whole time that she's like, oh, Eleanor, that really sucks that, you know, Edward, you've known that Edward has been engaged for these four months. That really sucks for you. Oh, how hard it has been. I'm sure you taking care of me whining about Willoughby when you have known these four months and you've been essentially suffering in silence, not leaning on anyone, being your stoic statue of yourself. Immediately she goes in to comfort her sister. (sighs) Mm -hmm. Immediately. Oh, I'm again, I'm like my body is melting like butter right now. Just thinking about it because, yeah, that's exactly what she does is just, oh, my gosh, she sees Eleanor immediately, immediately. And is like, you must be so tired. I love you. And I'm so sorry. And like, you've just been giving, giving, giving. And who is taking care of you? Yeah. Just like, you've been here supporting me. Who's who do you have? Yeah. Who (laughs) is taking care of Eleanor? Yes. Well, and Eleanor, somebody who loves you, that's what they do. (laughs) Not crying. You're crying. Ugh. Yeah, no, I'm. Just, I love Jane Austen. I'm really soaking in that because it is like I butter. It's Austin. when you, when your heart and eyes, like Marianne, didn't even think about where she was going to look. It's like they're talking about Edward, and we're finding out something shocking about Edward. Yes. Oh my gosh, my heart and my body know. Boom! Yeah. I need to t- pay attention to Eleanor. So then Eleanor jumps up and she's like, "But did she tell you that she was married, Thomas?" And he's like, yeah, she smiled and said that she changed her name. And then she says, but was Mr. Farrar's in the carriage with her? He's like, yeah, he was in the carriage. 
Eleanor's heart could easily account for his not putting himself forward, but Miss Dashwood probably found the same explanation. Was there no one else in the carriage? It's like, no, it was just the two of them. It was just the two of them in the carriage. They might be holding hands. They might be. <gasps> yeah. 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 And then she just um like has a moment at the end of the chapter and she essentially just like kind of not disassociates throughout the end but it's just a big monologue about all of her feelings and how like the rest of the evening it kind of goes by you know she's she's just not even talking the mom's not everyone's just kind of keeping it to themselves because this is some shocking news so this is shocking especially because you think too i mean engagements and the whole way we've been talking about them throughout the book is i mean they're a thing you tell people there is lead up um you know there's this whole courtship this regency era courtship we've we've experienced through sense and sensibility and so people just don't elope and people don't no. surprise you. No. You know, it's <laughs> that's not a fun surprise in Regency. No, because pe- pe- it's all about being seen and people, well, not being seen. It's about showing off. <laughs> yeah. It's, you Peacocking. Know, peacocking. It is. That's what it is. And, you know, so-and-so is marrying them and we have to have it announced, especially like we were talking about before when money is involved. And, you know the the Ferris family they're they're hoity toity yeah they're I mean, not they're, no they're they're money they're old money okay and so this is like wild this is just oh that was quick and it just happened and there whoa. was no lead up and now it's now yeah Mister Ferraris that's shocking is married to the youngest Miss Steele I'm shocked and I'm surprised and I usually don't care for surprises so well let's have a surprise morgan because i want you to turn to page 344 (laughs) class i need everyone to open their books to page 344 thank you is it in harry potter it's 346 what is it what's the page number that snape says oh no Oh no. 347. Um, yeah. Doesn't matter. I'm going to think about that and we're going to say it mm-hmm. sometime. We'll get there. Say yep. it in the comments. Say it Just in the comments. The, only the number. You know. Only the number. Nothing else. Okay. Morgan, we're going to we're going to do just a little bit more of um a reading back and forth. It says it's at the top of 344. Turns oh. out I wanted to go back that far. Oh yeah. Just the the second full paragraph here? Mm -hmm. Oh, great. Okay. When do you write to Colonel Brandon, ma'am, was an inquiry which sprang from the impatience of her mind to have something going on. I wrote to him, my love, last week, and rather expect to see than to hear from him again. I earnestly pressed his coming to us and should not be surprised to see him walk in today or tomorrow or any day. That was gaining something, something to look forward to. Colonel Brandon must have some information to give. And so then it goes on for a little bit, but essentially she is trying to distract herself of being like, mm-hmm. there's no internet, there's no phone, we've written mm-hmm. to everyone, does Colonel Brandon have news? And she's just like kind of tornadoing and spinning. She's just spinning now. Yep. Like there's, what's her yes. point? What's she going to do? Yes. She's now trapped in a house with her mom and her sister because now her mom's there mm-hmm. and her sister's mm-hmm. well. And so now it's kind of like the the bit afterwards. 
Yep. Um, don't put your book away because <gasps> we're going to be reading on page 345 too. Great. So then what happens is, and this is from Eleanor's point of view. <laughs> Scarcely had she so determined it when the figure of a man on horseback drew her eyes to the window. He stopped at their gate. It was a gentleman. It was Colonel Brandon himself. Now she could hear more and she trembled in expectation of it. But it was not Colonel Brandon. Neither his air nor his height. Were it possible, she should say it must be Edward. She looked again. He had just dismounted. She could not be mistaken. It was Edward. She moved away and sat down. He comes from Mr. Pratt's purposely to see us. I will be calm. I will be mistress of myself. That's Edward. Or that's Eleanor's line. Yeah. So she's like, mm. so he's coming with a specific message. It's not about me. It's not about me. Why would it be about me? Morgan, it's not about me. Hey, also that line. Ooh, that is burned on my soul. Be mistress of myself. I will be mistress of mm. myself. I am in control of what I do. I own this body. Mm. These are my feelings. Yeah. No one is going to make a bitch out of me. That's right. Okay? <laughs> I will be mistress of myself. Mm. Damn it. So, that is hot. Right? That is some hot behavior, that's Eleanor. Some, that's some hot talking oh. to yourself behavior. That's, yeah. some, that's some speaking to your heart behavior right there. Girl respects herself. Mm. That is hot. Here's, here's more of her internal thoughts. In a moment, she perceived that the others were likewise aware of the mistake. She saw her mother and Marianne change color, saw them look at her and whisper a few sentences to each other. She would have given the world to be able to speak and to make them understand that she hoped no coolness, no slight would appear in their behavior to him. She's like, okay, you guys, don't embarrass me. I know we've been talking about nothing but Edward for the last couple weeks, but don't embarrass me. Everyone be cool. <sighs> Chill out. Be but cool. She had no utterance and was obliged to leave all to their own discretion. Not a syllable passed aloud. They all waited in silence. So they're all just standing there. It's the great scene in the movie, which eventually we're going to be watching, where they're all just silently standing there waiting for the man to approach. There's no music. There's no other conversation. There's a bird chirping out the window, and that's it. <laughs> My body is we are, so tense. Yeah, we I'm are in a just awkward a, tea. Oh, <sighs> such a tight butthole right now. Like, <laughs> yes. Just, like, can you just imagine? The, I'm imagining the energy just, in that it's room. It's all happening in slow motion, but you can't stop it and you can't say anything. It's like, oh, time is frozen now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. That is like tight butthole energy <sighs> in that room. Okay. So not a Ooh. syllable passed aloud. They all waited in silence for the appearance of their visitor. His footsteps were heard along the gravel path. In a moment... He was in the passage, and in another he was before them. His countenance, as he entered the room, was not too happy. Even for Eleanor, his complexion was white with agitation, and he looks as if fearful of his reception, and conscious that his he merited no kind one. Miss Dashwood, however, conforming, as she trusted, to the wishes of her daughter, by whom she then meant in the warmth of her heart to be guided in everything, met him with a look of forced complacency, gave him her hand, and wished him joy. He colored, stammered out of an unintell stammered out an unintelligible reply. Eleanor's lips moved with her mother's, and when the moment of action was over, she wished that she had shaken hands with him too. Ah crap. Should have shaken hands with him. Ah, I didn't. 
But it was too late. And with a countenance meaning to be open, she sat down again and talked of the weather. Oh, God. The weather. <gasps> it's just. Oh my God. Okay. I normally, like, I don't want to break down all of the things. But this scene, I just really feel like we had to read through because she's like, okay, it's, it's Colonel worst. Brandon. <gasps> it's Edward. <gasps> I'm in a room with my mother and my sister. They all know what's going on. And now. I'm the one who has to lead the conversation because I'm the eldest and obviously he's there probably to talk to me. Oh, let's talk of the weather. Dude, also it's like, uh, yeah, I know. I need to pause too. Mm -hmm. We need to pause this because I have so many things to say about this too. Because this, I, like I said, tight butthole energy. Mm -hmm. I hate everything about this situation for everybody. Yeah. Okay. This is the worst for everybody. (laughs) So you've got this poor mother, this mother energy in here who's just so fiercely defending her daughter, but she's got to act cool because she doesn't want to embarrass her. And so she's got to put on this whole facade. Also, like you said, he's showing up just unannounced. This is what are you doing? He didn't here? send his card. He didn't send what a man you, before you with his card. Married, And now you're just here in the middle of the day without your wife. No announcement. I mean, what is this is on? so weird. This is bizarre and, and alarming. Also, I am thinking, too, like you said, they're not expecting anybody because no. he's unannounced. They're just in their home clothes chilling. OK, what Edward are you and I wearing know. right now? Oh. We're in our home clothes. <laughs> we are in our okay? home clothes. <laughs> what are our home clothes right now? I am wearing mm-hmm. some like flowy uh, tunic that has been washed too many times and is super duper soft and i've got these like butter leggings on and some thick socks and thick socks and glitter crocs so my hair is up in a bun too didn't wash it today we're not expecting guests not expecting guests Mm -mm, because it's a home day yeah i'm wearing a giant sweatshirt and leggings and no shoes and a beanie and headphones this is the podcasting energy we're here for and if someone showed up expecting me to look regency level of whatever that would be these days there's no time but this is not the outfit that i would choose to wear if the love of my life who broke my heart showed up at my door right now i am underdressed i am mortified yeah Yeah. mortified yeah okay i need to calm myself down wow that got like super emotional i can't believe you're doing this to me right now i we have to break this down because this is the reason why we are reading these books together for those of you just joining us this is the reason why we needed to finally Mm -hmm. read these books together and actually talk about it because it's always been hey have you read sense and sensibility Hey, have you read Pride and Prejudice? Oh, yeah, I love it. Remember that part? And it's like, no, I need to break down this scene because us as Aquariuses, we feel the cauldron of feelings that are happening. I I can put myself in each person's shoes and say, here is a mother. Both of her girls' hearts have just been dashed against the rocks. Here is this now married man we found out a couple weeks ago. And now it's all been quiet. We haven't heard from Colonel Brandon. Now all of a sudden, Edward's walking up the driveway. Marianne sees her older sister being stoic and secretive. And now she's like, I don't even know what Eleanor's thinking because she kept that secret from me for so long. And now I'm witnessing this. And so then this part happens, which I love. Okay. So he, (laughs) this is Edward. He colored and stammered out an unintelligible reply. Eleanor's lips had moved with her mother's. And when the moment of action was over, she reached, she wished that she had shaken hands with him too, but it was too late. 
and with a countenance meaning to be open, she sat down again and talked of the weather. Now, Marianne had retreated as much as possible out of sight to conceal her distress. <laughs> and Margaret, understanding some part, but not the whole of the case, thought it incumbent on her to be dignified and therefore took a seat as far from him as she could and maintained a strict silence. Well, when Eleanor had ceased to rejoice in the dryness of the season because she's still talking about the weather. <laughs> Oh my god. A very awful pause took place. It was to put it was put an end to by Miss Dashwood, who excuse me, Mrs. Dashwood. That's my problem too. We're talking about the mom, even though I said miss, it's Mrs. Because there's also there's a way that you do it. So Mm -hmm. the mother is Mrs. Eleanor is technically Miss. Mm -hmm. And then Marianne is Marianne. Mm -hmm. But then once uh Eleanor gets married then Marianne would be referred to as Miss. So, like, that just goes in the order. The availability. Mm -hmm. I miss it, too, because sometimes I speed read a little bit. I'm like... So, we're going to be talking about moms for a second. So, when Eleanor had ceased to rejoice in the dryness of the season, a very awful pause took place. It was put to an end by Mrs. Dashwood, who felt obliged to hope that he had left Mrs. Ferrars very well in a hurried manner. He replied in the affirmative. Another pause. Eleanor, resolving to exert herself, though fearing the sound of her own voice now, said, Is Mrs. Ferris in Longstaple? At Longstaple? He replied, with an air of surprise. No, my my mother's in town. I meant, said Eleanor, taking up some work from the table, to inquire for Mrs. Edward Ferris. She dared not look up, but her mother and Marianne both turned their eyes on him. He colored, seemed perplexed, looked doubtingly, and after some hesitation said, Perhaps you mean my brother? You mean Miss Miss Robert Ferris? Mrs. Robert Ferris was repeated by Marianne and her mother in an accent of the utmost amazement, and although Eleanor could not speak, even her eyes were fixed on him with the same impatient wonder. He rose from his seat and walked to the window, apparently from not knowing what to do. <laughs> I love this part. Okay, just keep going. like I so awkward. My body has to move. I like. I really. This is why really I relate to that, and you know I do. I wiggly as all fuck, and I relate to that, Eddie. <laughs> I saw this paragraph and I said, "Well, we could stop after we find out that it's uh, Mrs." Robert Ferrars or Ferris Ferris Mrs. Robert my, Ferris my person has been uh pronouncing it as Ferris okay I've had mm-hmm. Ferrars so my apologies but no because Mrs. we're listening to it Mrs. So- Robert Ferris depends yeah so okay keep going so Edward he rose okay. from his seat he I'll, rose I'll from take, his seat we'll take that one again because it's <laughs> so funny okay <laughs> he rose from his seat and walked to the window apparently from not knowing what to do took up a pair of scissors that lay there, and while spoiling both them and their sheath by cutting the leather to pieces as he spoke, said in a hurried voice, Perhaps you do not know. You may not have heard that my brother is lately married to to the youngest, to Miss Lucy Steele. His words were echoed with unspeakable astonishment by all but Eleanor, who sat with her head leaning over her work in a state of such agitation as made her hardly know where she was. Yes, said he. They were married last week. 
and are now at Dawlish. Eleanor could sit it no longer. She almost ran out of the room, and as soon as the door was closed, burst into tears of joy which at first she thought would never cease. Edward, who had till then looked anywhere rather than at her, saw her hurry away, and perhaps saw, or even heard, (laughs) her emotion. For immediately afterwards, he fell into a revere which no remarks, no inquiries, no affectionate address of Mrs. Dashwood could penetrate, and at last, without saying a word, quitted the room and walked out towards the village, leaving the others in the greatest astonishment and perplexity on a change in his situation, so wonderful and so sudden, a perplexity which they had no means of lessening, but by their own conjectures." everyone just knows all of the emotion soup that is passing in this whole room it's like edward shows up they exchange Mm -hmm. pleasantries eleanor inquires about his wife he's like nah not me my brother she essentially bursts into runs from the room and bursts into tears and then he gazes Mm -hmm. off in the distance while mrs dashwood is trying to ask him questions and then he just gets up and walks away oh my gosh and I think here's the thing. I uh, This is perfect because I imagine this is what it is like to just have a, a group of people who are all empaths and you're all in a room together and this is what happens. Yeah. You know, and the youngest s- sister, they even say, like, she doesn't really know what's going on. She's not quite old enough, but she knows enough to read the room yes like she can even read the room and that's what this is about is like read your fucking room people that's right. okay and edward poor guy he's so shy and i think he says something about it at one point where he's like shyness is just you know me and my insecurities and if i really thought that i was capable of communicating well i probably wouldn't be shy <laughs> and so for him but he's acting so awkwardly because he knows this is awkward as fuck he's awkward he's they're awkward. awkward they're awkward everyone's everyone awkward. is awkward this is the worst situation and so i love this so much Be- and i hate it at the same time i hate love it yeah because it is it's the absolute worst situation for an introverted empath like this is my nightmare <laughs> yes this yes. is my nightmare like you know how some people really like to you know, the thrill of watching a horror movie. That feeling is the feeling I get reading this Jane Austen passage. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And it's awkward as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) These people. It it just, this is also the scene that like sits with me too, (sighs) is like the misunderstanding, the easy misunderstanding that everyone thinking that they know what, excuse me, everyone thinking that they know what they're talking about but everyone actually talking about something completely different and the implications of that miscommunication and the weeks that Eleanor was just beside herself, actually tapping into her lovey feelings that she wasn't really accessing. And now it's like she realizes she doesn't get to have it. And so now she can actually mourn for Mm -hmm. this love that she could have had with Edward that does not exist because he's married. And now all of a sudden you find out in front of your siblings and mother that your love is available and the the just explosion of feeling and future planning and things it's like 
him showing up unannounced was the message. Like he didn't even need to say like, I am not married and I'm interested in you. Like him showing up there and being like, hey, ladies, what's up? How you doing, Eleanor? Yes. The weather's nice. Oh, my brother got married. Not a, me, though. It's been a dry heat. And, <laughs> you know, the crops are suffering a little bit, but I can. Oh, well, he's getting low. Like, what do you do? I don't know. Clouds pass by, but rarely. I hate it, it. I just, I, the whole time reading this book, just stepping back, the whole time reading this book, I had to literally keep saying, there's no phone, there's no internet, there's nothing to entertain you besides reading a book or talking to someone or doing a lady hobby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those those are really your choices. Not that that isn't a beautiful existence, but it's the distractions that exist today do not exist today. The context that we've experienced, you know, we watch movies with this yep. stuff. We've watched, but like people living this, this is their real life experience of this is the person coming in and telling me they're available. Yeah, this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. And I'm in my home clothes. I can't believe I can't even. He's walking up the driveway and I'm in my home clothes. <sighs> I'm in my glitter cro- crocs. I just can't. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> the glitter crocs. Ah! Um hmm. Yeah, dude. Wow. I just and then like Lucy writes her a very um excuse me, writes Edward a letter mm-hmm. being like, Ooh, sir, yeah. I just want to make sure that you know that like now that I'm married to your brother, I definitely don't like you and I just want to make sure that we communicate Ooh, that to each other yes. and I'm gonna be sending you your things. Don't worry, I'm as happy, maybe even more happy with him than I thought I would be with you. So good luck. Um, Lucy, I'm gonna put my first stamp of Regency era fuck gal on Oh yeah. On Lucy Steele, because that is some fuckery mm-hmm. right there. I yeah. mean, she also I that whole letter, I was just ugh, my mouth was hanging open as I am listening. I'm just like, are you flipping kidding me? And her little comment about, you know please burn like I've burned all of your letters so just please burn all mine and she's like taking inventory of all the things they've ever exchanged but I give you permission to keep my lock of hair like what is that yeah bullshit like, like that was implying so to me shit. that oh I'm sure like this is gonna be so hard for you so if you need to keep a memento I'm okay with you keeping that intimate part like pff, get over yourself Ew. Yeah. I'm just ew. over here rolling my eyes and shaking my finger because ew. Anyways. The hair I, rings, the rings of hair, like either it's going to make a comeback soon or it just needs to be buried in history forever because wearing someone's hair around your finger is a look. I also, I will tell you, mm-hmm. I also thought that Lucy was just a bit dull. And kind of dim. Mm-hmm. They just, the way that she's described, she just seems a bit bland. Like there's nothing that she's really outstanding at or like super passionate about. She just kind of, I don't know, she just kind of gets around. You know, she just, she knows people, she visits, she's sort of trying to make her way into society. She's in good standing. Talk she's to the town. sort of medium. It's whatever. She's nice enough to visit with, but also, I was immediately uncomfortable when she started, you know, spilling the most intimate details of herself so quickly, so quickly. I've met people like that where it's like, hey, it's one thing to be open, but it's another thing for you to sit down and tell me 
you know, the most intimate details of the last five years of your life without me inquiring whatsoever. And your love intentions <laughs> and all of and those. That's like some mm-hmm. real personal shit mm-hmm. to each their own. Not for me. Um, And so it's just very interesting. And so this, it was just, wow, your true colors really came out. And this was, again, where I saw very much a similarity between her and Willoughby in the fact where she just is so in it for the drama. You know, it was all this, you know, story of being swept off her feet in this secret engagement. Don't tell anybody. And, you know, she just wanted that story. It wasn't actually about a connection between her and Edward. And also this supposed engagement happened like multiple years ago when they were children. Yeah. It's like, oh, great. You fell in love one summer when you guys were neighbors for a month. She's great. been trying to jump the gun for years. Yeah. You know, it's like when you get a boyfriend in fourth grade where it's like, yes, we're going to be married. And yes, we're going to live in it. Did you ever play MASH? With the- oh, of course. Yeah. We're yes. going to be in a mansion and mm-hmm. we're going to have mm-hmm. a red car and yep. there's going to be this many children. That is what she has been playing since a young age. And so as soon as she was like, yes, ooh, very school there's the money. And he's like, oh, there's the money. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. It's very cut and dry when you're that age, too, of like, well, my parents live in the big house and his parents live in the Mm -hmm. big house. So I think that we're probably supposed to get together Mm -hmm. and make a big house. Yes. And so in their minds, because that would have been like 15. Yes. 14, 15 when they were making these promises to each other. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I was imagining. Mm -hmm. And but the thing is, you know, this all happens and the way she writes this letter to edward and everything it's just matter of fact it was much more it was very Mm businesslike i thought it was less of a social letter and much more of there was an agenda and (laughs) this was a formal letter it shall not be my fault if we are not always good friends as Mm -hmm. our near relationship now makes proper I yeah, I have no guilt in this. I whatsoever. can safely say I owe you no ill will. Ew. It's just dripping Gross. with the yeah, it's it's that just <sighs> But yeah. the thing is the the problem is that, you know, I thought she was just a little dim. Turns out she's not. And neither is Willoughby. They are actually highly intelligent. Focused. And they just play a different game because you know emotionally immature but yeah they are definitely intelligent and they see how they can get ahead or how they think they can get ahead because it's just all about money and the game and the stories and the look of it and so you know that's exact and that's pretty much exactly what lucy does is when she finds out that edward has been disinherited and, you know, she knows he wants to join the church. And so that means they're not going to have a lot of money. What does she do? She dumps him and marries his brother yep. because he's the one with the purse strings now. <laughs> so we find out exactly what Lucy Steele is all about in the end. Regency era fuck girl. Yeah. Yeah. Bougie bitch right there. Mm-hmm. Ick. No time. I have no time for that. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting, too, that. Jane gave us a female character to echo Willoughby in different ways. I but love that. I think that that's so you. good because we it is so easy to be like, yep, there's the dude and there's no. the dude doing sh- the shenanigans. But 
look at this woman who also was making moves since the beginning. She meets Eleanor. She tells her all of her secrets. And it's kind of one of those mm-hmm. things when someone tells you their secrets is more of a weapon for you to know than rather yes. something like caring. Like, I'm going to tell you this so that you know to stay away. And that was her energy. And so going from that to this, it's like, oh, yeah, this is mm-hmm. your journey. And this is how badly women can behave as well. It's not just yeah. a guy thing. It's a no. choices thing. It's a choices thing. Exactly. And I have to say that, too. Thank you for mentioning that because I agree with you. And looking at this novel, it, you know, definitely in the beginning of the book, something happened and it changed in the second half. And I was really surprised by the tone delightfully because in the very beginning, it was in my perception very much Regency era fuckboys and just whiny Regency ladies yeah. <laughs> and everyone's just in their emotions and just but then in the second half of this book it everybody evolved in a real way and like I saw Eleanor stand up for herself I saw her stand up for others I saw her being protective and in a very healthy way and I saw Mary Ann also stand up for herself I saw her mature and start to care more for others and be less egocentric. And we also see this huge transformation. Um, I think for Colonel Brandon, his journey I love because I think Colonel Brandon's journey for me, I look at it and his is more about self-compassion because Mm -hmm. he has so much love and compassion for others, but he struggles with himself. Like he He's not very nice to himself and he doesn't have great self-talk in the beginning, I noticed, where, you know, he's just like, no, there's no way that she would be interested in me. Why? Like, I'm just old. I'm used up. I'm old goods. Like, he is not. And everybody around him is like, dude, I mean, yeah, you're like, you know, 36, but... You you still have lots to offer, and you're just so nice. Everyone loves Colonel Brandon. Like, you're just a good guy, dude. He made some from the beginning. Everyone thinks that he has a love child. Yeah, and, and they're he, still like, whatever. and still, and it's like when you said he is an example of compassionate talk, and it's like, <gasps> oh my gosh, yeah, how that evolves with him from the beginning to the end of the book, yeah, and taking care of himself, yeah, he and starts off. <gasps> In in the beginning, like I said, just like kind of this weird guy in the back of the room. Like you're just like, I don't really know why you're here, but you are. Yep. And talking about you're his not waistcoats. doing anything wrong, but okay, guy, whatever. <laughs> and then in the second half, I'm like, whoa. Whoa. Wife Secret me moves. up. Yeah. Colonel Brandon. Like, I will make you so happy. Yeah. And, you know, he's just he's so- there he's showing up so then he's like i'm in love with marianne and i'm gonna give edward this parsonage yeah in delaford does more and so he's just like looking out for his inner circle and through colonel brandon Mm -hmm. being around more yeah marianne finally sees yes the man that colonel brandon is and how much she has changed and grown and aligned what Mm -hmm. she wants for her future. Yes. And it's it's very interesting just to see Marianne really soften towards Colonel Brandon mm-hmm. in the last couple chapters because mm-hmm. he shows mm-hmm. up and he's just around and you forget that he for a part of the book he wasn't there. Yeah. Because it seems like he's always just been there. Yeah. 
Yeah, she definitely she goes through a change. And I think you use such a good word. It's she softens because she still has in my eyes the same tenacity she has from the very beginning. You know, she is passionate about the same things she was before about nature and you know, conversation, intellectual conversations, reading, you know, she's interested in politics and how things work in the world. Um, And she still likes that all at the end and finds out that she can share that with Colonel Brandon. And actually, even if she can't necessarily share it, he just wants to listen and soak it up. And he just wants to like admire her. And he wants like, to be around well, the fun. Great. He wants to be around the he shiny wants thing. To be around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what he wants. And turns out she's like, oh, yep. Turns out I love that because you just let me be free. And she gets to be her free wild self. And also, like, she doesn't have to perform though. Yeah. Because he, he is. I don't know. I see Colonel Brandon as like the sounding board of the relationship, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and he knew her when she was a silly little girl, essentially. Yeah. You know, because this book, I don't know what the timeline is of how many months total it takes place oh, over. I don't either. But it's months and months and months yeah. that this is months. taking time. And so just seeing how she has changed mm-hmm. and the watching her grow into a woman that he's like, oh yeah, no, I thought that I thought that I was in love with her then, and now look, she's she is. Just everything that I like want in my fine world. Wine. Yeah. yeah. I have a huge crush on Marianne. Mm-hmm. Like big, huge crush. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Huge crush. I just I also I love her fire and her spark. I love how outspoken she is. I just I love people who just tell me what they're thinking the moment they're thinking it. <laughs> right out. And they don't filter it because then I don't have to guess. And because that's my problem is I'm going to sit there and I'm going to like psychoanalyze everything and like break it down because I'm anxious about it and like worried that I made a mistake or there was a miscommunication. You know, I'm I'm an Eleanor about it. That's like my inner monologue. I really relate to Eleanor because that's like what my mind is doing. It's just racing all the time. And just analyzing everything around me. Calm waters on the outside. Yeah. And then <laughs> like, like a big hurricane on the inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but, you know, with Marianne, I just, I, like, I also relate to, like, her feeling big feelings. But I love how determined she is to be true to herself. Mm-hmm. And I just respect the hell out of that. I admire that. And I have such a big crush on her for that. <laughs> Yeah. When you see something that you don't have. Love her. It's like that's Uh, a part that I wish that I had was mm -hmm, the the mm -hmm. fiery no filter and also the not caring because Mm -hmm. she has less shame than my level of shame exists. Oh, yeah. She doesn't waste too much time on shame. She is yelling Willoughby's name across a crowded hall. That's what she is doing. She does not care. No. And I think she also part of that for me is I see her as, you know, she is self-assured and she's out there to get what she deserves. And she, you know, has set high standards for herself and realizing too this situation with Willoughby because she struggled so much. I saw because she was doubting herself and that's not because the situation was misread. It was because there was somebody who made a bad choice and hurt her because that does happen. And so 
you know, I have a lot of respect for her too because her struggle here was not just the fact that like, oh, this boy didn't like me back. Uh, This for Marianne and for Eleanor, both of them, the struggle here was the fact that they, you know, both thought they were so self-assured and they knew themselves, their, you know, their souls so well. And yet here they are in a situation where their whole world has been turned upside down they still and got they trampled. don't know who they are yeah. <laughs> and they're questioning like am i wrong are they wrong did i misread the situation am i not who i thought i was what is going on and so i really oh my god i like super connect with that and i see that in marianne and again just i respect the hell out of that woman Mm. Just really, just fantastic, fantastic leading ladies in this Oh, book. my God. For real. Okay. Yeah. But, <laughs> but can we talk about Edward now? <laughs> and yeah, because we're nearing the end of, of like, this section, but I also I, never want to stop talking about I Sense and know. Sensibility. Okay, yeah, I Edward. We need to talk about Edward and his apology now. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. is that the next thing that was on your mind? Yeah, let's talk about Edward. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Okay, because like, that was where, you know, him coming back and talking to Eleanor, explaining the situation, you know, this again was that mirror image of the discussion that Eleanor had with Willoughby and how polar opposite that was with Edward and like this whole thing is happening my heart hurt for Edward my heart just oh I was cringing and just I can only imagine how hard this was for him like that my heart just hurt so bad like and this is also just so embarrassing it is so embarrassing for me to admit when I have made a mistake, I hate making mistakes mm-hmm. and I hate thinking that someone doesn't like me or thinks I'm stupid. They notice my mistake I and now that. I'm being judged. And so like I mm-hmm. am just cringing this whole time as and I just think Edward, I think that man is just so brave because he is very shy. And so like to have to go and tell somebody and like talk to them face to face in the eyes, in the eyes, like make eye contact and uh, use words and explain some embarrassing shit you did when you were young and stupid. We've all done stuff when we're young and stupid. I've done stuff when I'm young and stupid. Everybody has. Collectively, let's all raise our hands. (laughs) I've said stupid things to people I really liked. And it's like, yeah, we're all teenagers. We're (laughs) all kind of still teenagers You say really stupid things to your crushes. And it's embarrassing. And so uh, that whole scene, totally cringeworthy. And also I had immense respect and admiration for Edward in that moment because the difference between this conversation with Eleanor and her conversation with Willoughby is that Edward came to explain the situation and then he also wanted to explain some of his feelings and talk about how he was embarrassed and how he really liked Eleanor and how like hey I've grown and admitted like yeah I'm not proud of this thing 
And I, I'm not proud of this. And I did that when I was young. And I know that's not an excuse. And it, it just is what it is. And like now this is my life. And I hope that you know that this is not who I am. And this is just something that I did. This was a choice I made. And now I need to make amends for it. Because that to me is the important thing. Like everybody, part of being human is making mistakes. You let it lie. And it sucks. Mm-hmm. And it's ugly. And it's so fucking embarrassing. I hate it so much. Mm-hmm. And part of being human is also connecting with people and saying you're sorry and like really meaning it. And like this moment that they take together, we're just like Edward knows that this connection with Eleanor is more important than his pride. Mm-hmm. And like that sacrifice where he's like, nope, I'm going to go in and like, you know, can you sit with me in this, please, Eleanor? And Eleanor's like, damn straight. I will like, yep, let's be awkward for a bit. And like, it's just everyone has to pay their penance a little bit. Like, this is also the most fucking romantic thing. Like, screw Harlequin sex novels. Like, give me Jane Austen. Awkward, restrained. Give me the restrained, the quiet gasps, here. the looking out the Ugh. window and thinking no. so hard. It is. Ugh. The sexiest thing to me is apologizing, sincere apologies, mm-hmm. like just, ooh, saying hey, look at that thing mm-hmm. with your partner. Yep. Eye contact. Yeah. Like identifying Sexy. the thing and saying, "Love that this is not the thing." No, I see this thing happen happened, and we are acknowledging that this happened, and everyone did the choices. But I don't want this to exist in the way that it existed. So I need to apologize so that it changes our feelings about these choices that we all made together. Because he's he's not running away from what happened. He's saying, "Hey, this is a really shitty thing that happened, and now we need to talk about it and acknowledge it, and then go." To a place where we can move on from. Yes. If you want to move on with me, Eleanor. And he holds out his hand and looks into her eyes. That's yes. what he does in my mind. Willoughby just, he packs up and moves on. Like He, he runs out of the room he, and out of everyone's hearts and then out of the country. He goes to the party and then he burns the fucking village down and he runs out of town. Yeah. And, you know, he just goes from one fire to the next. Yeah. What a hot mess i, I want i want to where are they now like hot mess regency version of just oh our villains gosh. like <gasps> lucy Steele oh. and willoughby and the ones that we're going to meet in the books in the future I just jean austen wrote epilogues oh, for man. all of her characters yeah. what do you guys think happened uh, to the characters in the austen novels like what are oh, the second parts us. of their story because um we're we've just broken uh two hours of recording and uh, i mean I just want to touch on how Jane wraps up this book. Yeah. I can read us out with the yeah. last paragraph. We got to wrap it up. We so. got to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. And so just wanted to say thank you, everyone, for coming to play Sense and Sensibility Part 2. We shall now progress to the next book. Check out our Instagram for our original mm-hmm. book nook posting. You can see what the pages are, but it's Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. We're just going into it. Uh, thank you for listening to the Regency Shenanigans. And... Uh, I'm going to read this last paragraph. Wrap it up for us, Samantha. Between Barton and Delaford, there was that constant communication which strong family affection would naturally dictate. And among the merits and the happiness of Eleanor and Marianne, let it not be ranked as the least considerable. 
that those sisters, and living almost within sight of each other, they could live without disagreement between themselves or producing coolness between their husbands. And they lived happily ever after is what that paragraph says. Bye, friends. Yay. That was wonderful. Oh, my gosh. That was super fun. (sighs) Yay. Like, I could keep on talking, though. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize it had been two hours. My gosh. No, I could keep talking. I could keep on going about Sense and Sensibility and all my feelings.